0: Hi everyone, welcome to our new podcast IAMCR and Friends. I am Nicole Stewart and I am the IAMCR Ambassador for Canada and today we're talking about Uh, Media and Communication Research, because the IAMCR is a global professional association for media and communication researchers. Today on the podcast, I'm featuring Sebo Chen, who I've known for quite a while. He is an assistant professor and the graduate program director in professional communication at the Toronto Metropolitan University. He's also the co-chair of IAMCR's Emerging Scholars Network and the executive board member for the International Environmental Communication Association. His research interests explore political polarization and communication uh, within the public sphere in three main topic areas, political contention over climate change, the rise of anti-Asian racism, and online disinformation. Welcome, Sibo.
1: Okay, thank you, Nico. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's lovely to have you today. So at IAMCR this past year, you submitted a paper called Far-Right Political Extremism and the Radicalization of the Anti-Vaccine Movement in Canada. Can you tell me what that's about and what it's for?
1: Okay, so in essence, the paper is a case study of one hashtag. So basically Twitter under the hashtag called uh, Canada Has Fallen. And uh, the main question set out to be explored in that paper is really what's the overall discursive dynamics within that hashtag, like there is actually a very a contentious discursive struggle between people who support who support vaccination and people go against it. So my research would really say, you know, there are many hashtags, of course, right? But for the for this short-lived hashtag, we really only get prominence for a few days back in um, October 2021, right? So my research has set out to say, okay, so what's the overall discursive dynamics? So that's the research key uh, topic what i found is actually very interesting so the key argument i reached throughout you know analyzing all the tweets within the hashtag is essentially how you know what i call creative sabotage basically people intentionally using you know entertaining messages jamming the effective communication of the hashtag so how that eventually of the further spread of misinformation contained under this hashtag
0: Thank you. I wonder how you became interested in this topic because I know your earlier research was very focused on climate change. So, how did that evolution occur for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that would be really interesting. One is that I personally see actually the connection between, you know, actually the anti vaccine movement as well as, you know, climate change denialism. So, that's part of the reason, but also it's coming from a more kind of personal observation because I have been teaching risk and crisis communication here at uh, Toronto Metropolitan University. And uh, so along with that, right? So I'm taught. I'm I was teaching virtually during the during the fall 2021. And uh, one of the topic we have been discussing is really about the way that the government has been communicating about you know, you know, vaccine policies as well as the benefits of get 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 vaccinated. Um. So I wrote a conversation article. You, know, for readers who don't know that, that's a uh, news website, globally, for inviting academics. Writing expert commentaries, so I wrote an article talking about how the Canadian government what mistake they made when communicating the risks of Astrazeneca, and after that, so that writing that article lead me into you know a more exploring of with related studies on vaccine denialism, and that, that there actually found the connection. So and also I have been you know following Twitter about pandemic discussions online, you know part of the the habit many, you know, communication scholars have. And I noted that particular hashtag, right? The Canada has fallen. But more interesting, along with that hashtag, there are similar hashtags, like, you know, UK has fallen, Australia has fallen, or US has fallen. So I feel, okay, so maybe there is an ongoing misinformation campaign online, or maybe there are something else, right? So I need to figure out. So that eventually led, actually, to this case study.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about what the hashtag Canada has fallen actually is about what are they posting why is it a concern what what classifies it as misinformation
1: um I think it's actually a, right so it's actually inherently difficult to e- define what is misinformation because again right so actually in the in the digital sphere right sometimes information are presented to you as partial as incomplete or sometimes it's really a uh, you know, elaboration of personal opinions, right? The boundary between, you know, true and false could be really fuzzy there. So specifically actually get into this particular hashtag, right, so Canada has fallen, right? This if this entire thing comes from, you know, people kind of, you know, you get people who are unhappy regarding Canada's you know, policy, mask wearing, and people are unhappy with, you know, you know, vaccination policies. So they begin to use this hashtag essentially equate you know all of the pandemic public health measures as authoritarian measures right so that's has where this discussion started but it's a very like i mentioned earlier it's a very campaign and part of that is you know you actually getting people who noted this as a training hashtag and they were voluntarily kind of pro, kind of resist the key message there so in my analysis i see a lot of people talking about you know canada has fallen to love or canada you know and also People using this hashtag, for example, talking about Canada has falling in love with you know cute cats, right? So there are people intentionally <laughs> misinterpret and kind of intentionally kind of disrupt the conversation about freedom, things like that. And uh, that's actually what it ends up, right? So you could, call, I think, we could call it an, as an attempt of online disinformation campaign, but it failed. And a, a major issue, a major cause of its failure is. You know, this kind of creative sabotage where people intentionally use you know, hilarious or positive messages to actually jam the communication within the hashtag network.
0: And what role does something like uh, right-wing populism have in this kind of a hashtag as opposed to something like information deficit?
1: Um, yeah, so because traditionally speaking, right, so when people study this idea about hesitancy, like what factors, what social culture or You know, psychological factors contributing for people's hesitance or unwillingness to get vaccinated, and uh, many of the early research in this area actually talking about parents, right? So parents were hesitant about you know getting their kids vaccinated. Um, A lot of research has pointing of a variety of you know demographic factors as well as level of education, things like that, and one of the recommendation there was you know we were dealing with quote unquote an information deficit right so if you get people informed if you provide more information if you improve let's say the transparency of the policy making so yeah the, the we were going to we were eventually being to reduce hesitancy what I have been observed that not only from this hashtag also you know for related and have vaccine movements later in Canada as well as elsewhere is that we see a lot of these messages. Were politically motivated and is embedded, you know, populist cause. for example, pro-freedom messages, right? So I think that's actually make them very distinctive from the pre-pandemic vaccine hesitancy. And that's why I label them as vaccine denialism, which again, kind of drawing the link there, right? It's very similar to how, you know, climate change denialism function these days, right? Because the whole issue has become so politicized, right? So people who is on these kind of, you know, Denial side, right? They firmly held their belief, and uh, you know, in- information availability rarely changed their minds because they are ideologically motivated. So that's, I think, what makes this kind of issue interesting. In in that regard, you know, solving vaccine denialism calls for finding, you know, alternative mechanisms to mediate, you know, online political polarization, or to actually finding ways to deconstruct those, you know, these echo chambers.
0: Yeah, I, I noticed that this work is shifting more in a quantitative direction, which is a departure for you, which I thought was really interesting. I wanted to know about some of the methodological considerations here. Why did you choose Twitter? Is, was this hashtag or this movement trending on other platforms? What, why Twitter specifically? And also you used a, a web-based tool that I hadn't heard of before called Communalytic. Maybe you can correct me on the pronunciation there. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what that is and the choice to use it.
1: Okay, yeah. So, I mean, people who study social media, many people begin with Twitter, right? That's essentially all the data is public available, which allow you actually to do the data collection scraping without, without actually requiring for reviews. That's one of the advantage. And also, you know, from my perspective, because I am more interested in quote-unquote public discourse. So actually, information which are available and can be seen by everyone is actually essential to, you know, the way I design the research um, so yeah, I mean, the thing is that I mean we have this right so we have this traditional discussion i I, I do feel that you know, actually for some studies, you know you can apply a more qualitative methods for analysis of tweets on the condition that you are maybe analyzing a very specific question and the data set is very small, but you know. Even like for example, Canada has fallen. Which is not a very large twist. You still end up, you know, getting over six thousand twists, right? And if you're doing human coding and uh, you know find, finding ways to actually ensure the code reliability, that's just like time-consuming and uh, the accuracy is also could coming a concern. That's why you know I resulted in you know, more kind of a quant a quantitative approach. But I'm kind of trying to complement that by after my quant quantitative matters, right? Which analyze, for example, the sentiments and analyze the level of, to- you know, how toxic the online discussions are, or analyzing the, you know, the formation of social networks within the tweets. I'm also trying to, you know, complement by analyzing basically the most likely tweet. I think I analyzed the, the top 100 most likely tweets there, right? So to actually gain additional, email. so I'm, I think this kind of mixed matters, is actually the at least for my current research practices that's the most suitable one to actually getting a sense of you know making a sense about you know the online discourse. So community, yeah. So community is a web-based social media analysis tool actually developed by uh, a colleague here at, at TMU. Um, my colleague Anatoly Grass. So that has been very helpful. So it has um, building features which allows to some of the more kind of. Direct analysis, for example, sentiments, There analysis of you know uh, lexical frequency, and so on, and also simplify the data collection process. I'm a newbie, right? So I have been for a very long time. My research has been really driven by a more kind of qualitative research methods framework. So I'm very actually excited to you know study departure from my old you know my old kind of toolbox. I'm getting some new tools, you know, for like analyzing
0: your toolbox, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. not old. It's still good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the findings from this Canada has fallen tweet analysis that you conducted. What were kind of maybe three of the overarching findings here for the data set?
1: Okay, so yeah, so I think let, let me kind of very quickly elaborate, you know you' trying to summarize what I have found there. I think number one is, about, you know, the importance of organic information diffusion, because, you know, the tradition, there has been people argue that, you know, sometimes you, you need to find the quote unquote, the key influencer who play a very vital role in, you know, online disinformation campaigns. Um, but at least in the case analyze, right? So I eventually, because one of the functions community allow for you is actually trying to determine the pres- whether there are presence of, you know, social media bots, like Twitter bots, right? So which kind of, you know, forwarding people's information, amplifying the circulation of certain messages, right? At least in this case, I think the presence of Twitter boss um, was very limited so that, you know, most of these kind of communication dynamics observed within the hashtag is uh, was organic, right? So that's, and I think that kind of organic aspects, this kind of voluntary participation by ordinary netizens, right? That has a greater amplification impact than inauthentic activities. So that's one takeaway. The second is, I think, is really more when you're looking into the details, right? That how, you know, the social networks within all this, within this hashtag works, right? So we see essentially people gather ar- into two groups, right? One is what we call the creative sabotage groups, right? Where people kind of, you know, tweaking each other and sharing those kind of positive messages and making fun of this hashtag. And you get kind a of, who is still kind of stick to the, Hashtag's original meaning, right? Talking about the pro-freedom messages, right? So I think so what I found is that although these kind of sabotage tweets, right, they disrupted the initial momentum of the hashtag and they what should stop it, right? Stop it kind of further gathering more pro-freedom messages, right? But they, I don't think they elevate the chasm, you know, between the supporters and opponents of pandemic policies, right? So the you know the political tension persists. And uh, the final point is, I think this is goes beyond, right? So this hashtag was about two, three months before, actually, before, you know, the Occupy Ottawa movement, right? So I think that this is actually shows that how, you know, hashtag like this was a serious communication challenge and uh, to, serious communication challenge, right? So it's actually time consuming for people to counter such, you know, organically organized online campaigns. So yeah, so that's a continued communication challenge that as you know we are still we have not complete the pandemic isn't over, right? So I think this is the, the challenge we have to continue to deal with. So that's will be the final takeaway.
0: It's very interesting, Sibo. I wonder if you can elaborate on two things. One, mm-hmm. how do you define this creative sabotage for those who maybe are unfamiliar with this concept? And two, how can we deal with this amplification of creative sabotage or misinformation or this idea that we have these new communicative challenges in front of us, whether you're an academic and researcher, which most of the people listening may be, or just the general Mm -hmm. public kind of trying to navigate how to look at COVID-19 measures. So first, the creative sabotage, and then, you know, what do we do about it?
1: Um, Yeah, so I can give you actually the the definition of the creative sabotage, right? So uh, these people, I bas- I define it basically as a series of positive and humorous tweets, right? For example, Canada has fallen in love with cats, right? So that purposefully misinterpreted the hashtag, right? So they u- intentionally misuse the hashtag, right? And to is tr- in a way to actually impair its ability to communicate pro freedom messages, right? So that's actually what happens, right? It, it's a sabotage, right? It's the purpose is actually to stop the communication. But it has been done in a creative way by actually using more, you know, those kind of creative memes. For instance, I think that is also the way people trying to amplify those kind of memes so that you know the sabotage could be more effective. How do we deal with? It? I think it's there are two ways to think about that. One is I think it's it's amazing to see you know this presence of this kind of, you know, it's this could be seen as a kind of you know grassroots actions a, a grassroots collective actions taken by other people when they are trying to find ways to mediate the spread of misinformation online right and uh, but also in you know, another way is I think the competition must go beyond this like I said right I don't think this approach will make it may actually impair the communication or the effectiveness of one hashtag right I don't think it resolves the political tensions um, existing there right so To that end, I think what's really more important is, maybe this is a bigger question to talking about your social media platforms, right? So how can we find additional measures, right? How could we build a new mechanism to allow, you know, people out of their own digital echo chambers and allow people to see all sides of discussions, allow more rationalized and less contentious debates online, I think that's actually where we go. There's a long way to go there and I think that probably have to start with, you know, policy discussions and regulations regarding social media platforms, right? So what kind of mechanisms they have to set up to, to, you know, more clear policy against hate speech, more clear policy against fake news, things like that.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, Sibo. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the name of the chapters at the same uh, same as the paper that you presented and the book title. When is this book coming out? What, what can you tell us? Because I want to read the full the full chapter.
1: Okay, so um, the, the paper, right? So the paper is part of a, a book. The book is actually about, uh, Communicating COVID-19 Multidisciplinary Perspective, Volume 2, which will be Uh, published by Power Macmillan, I think actually very soon, you know, by the end, you know, you know, in a few months, you know, by the end of 2022. And uh, Mm -hmm. when it's all, you know, feel free to check it online.
0: Well, thank you so much, Sibo. It's been wonderful to have you today. I'm sure all the Mm -hmm. listeners will appreciate hearing about your work. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the chat.
0: My pleasure. For those who are listening, more I Am CRM Friends podcasts are
1: available on Apple and Spotify. Thank you so much for listening.